Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I love doing this podcast, and one of the main reasons I love it is because we all get to experience different perspectives, different thoughts, different views of relationship and connection and the constructs and the challenges and how to move through those things. And not every person you hear in every aspect of life you're going to resonate with, and not every teacher is going to be your teacher which is, you know, I'm, I know I'm not for everybody, that's for sure true, and knowing that is totally freeing, because it's not my job to be for everybody, it's my job to be myself, and that's just like, you're not going to resonate with everything you've learned in your life, and you're not going to resonate with every belief you've been taught, and maybe even held, and that's where we have this disconnection between authenticity, who we truly are, and what we're actually living by, and, and expressing. And this is why understanding different perspectives of the world is so powerful is that you recognize and I recognize that a belief we hold today might not be a belief that we hold in a month, a year, a day, a decade. And beliefs you have held in your past might not be beliefs that you hold today. And if you don't acknowledge that transformation and that change and you keep pretending like that belief is authentic to you, then you will face resistance and pain because what is trying to be birthed through you, you resist as opposed to just allowing it to flow and surrender and release the old way of thinking. And on a more uh, structured basis, this is what happens with science. You know, we live in this world where science is fact but we don't have to look very far or very much in the past to know that evidence-based medicine, evidence-based ways of thinking, factual ways of thinking, when we even think of evidence in cases, we are constantly showing that science disproves previous science. And just like the evolution of humanity and the experience of what has been important to us and how we relate and our ability to communicate these have all just continued to evolve, and I think that's the beauty 
of being a human being is allowing yourself to do that and know that you are the curator of your life. You're the creator of what you want. And that's so freeing and also incredibly (laughs) challenging because it means we have a high level of responsibility to ourselves to choose and to allow what is authentic to ourselves to be expressed in our experience. Man, but that, speaking from my own experience, that is hard when something that we used to hold as true is disproven and it's part of our, like, we know it's going to have a rippling effect on our, our family, our religion, our culture, our relationships. So I'm so excited to have this guest this man on my podcast who i am inspired by i love his authenticity his expression he is brilliant he has such a great way of structuring things and communicating things his name is john kim and he is known on instagram as the angry therapist he has he's an author a life coach a therapist i mean this guy's he's stacked and he's also a crossfitter so he's jacked so he's got it all you know full package over here um, but before uh, we get started with him, a couple things. One, wherever you listen to this, if you can leave a five-star review and a written review, that is so helpful to get this experience into other people's ears and get this message to other people who might need exactly that. So if you could share the episode too, if it resonates with you, that would be so appreciated. I'd be so grateful. Also, if you happen to be going through a breakup and or, or just haven't gotten over somebody and feel like they are still living in your mind and your heart and not allowing you to move forward or it's just fresh and you want to move through it, I have a five-week post-breakup recovery recipe course that moves you through all the stages that are required to move through to process a breakup and really step forward with a fresh heart. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. I just mean a fresh heart and opportunity and clarity I am such a believer that rock bottoms are an opportunity to really transform and expand and meeting someone in that space of heartbreak is one of my favorite places to meet somebody. So you get daily emails from me with videos and also five weeks of course material and videos explaining what you're going through and how to get through it. And if you want to sign up for that, all you have to do is go to bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash breakup healing. So B-I-T dot L-Y slash B-R-E-A-K-U-P-H-E-A-L-I-N-G. Bit.ly slash breakup healing. Can't wait to join you on that journey of healing. And now without further ado, John Kim, the Angry Therapist. Well, I am super pumped to finally have the Angry Therapist, which I love your name, by the way. Oh, thanks. Oh man, it's so good. The angry therapist, John Kim on my show to really, you know, the blunt styles we match up. Yes. I actually, I feel a kinship with you. Um, It's weird how, you know, it's weird how the internet is because you could get a sense of someone's personality, of course, but also kind of their energy, their take on life. And I think with you, uh, I feel like we overlap in just kind of how we are and what we talk about. So, yeah, I, I just, I think I mentioned to you, um, Starsky and Hutch. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Which I love. I love that I'm, analogy. I'm Starsky, you're Hutch. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I mean, I, I agree with you. There's a, I think there's a natural draw to, I'm not saying to us, because that sounds like we share a lack of humility, but I think there's a, la- a natural jaw, draw to, um, authentic expression, you know, because it's so inspiring when I watch your stuff that 
like you just don't give a shit about like you give a shit about everybody and and the impact and what the work you do but there's just this beautiful my self-expression and the expression of truth is comes ahead of my need for you to like me yeah and also i think especially being men um there's not a, a lot of men out there talking about love and, and and relationships and codependency and all of that and so um, that, that, that pool is very small. And so when I, when I came across you, I thought it was very refreshing. And I think that's, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons why I connect with you is it's not, we're not just talking about, you know, the lifting weights and cars and <laughs> other stereotypical things, you know? <laughs> yeah. We get to go beyond the surface, you know, and which right. is such a beautiful thing to, as a male, I've experienced the previous world you just mentioned and I participated in it and loved it, but I, because I didn't know that there was so much more beyond, especially because we haven't exact, you know, men haven't exactly been socialized to be expressive. Right. Right. And I, I still have, you know, one foot in the locker rooms and the, you know, the CrossFit boxes and the motorcycles and all that. But I also love like coffee and crepes and a long conversation, you know, about <laughs> relationships. like CrossFit and then brunch. A nice, long, <laughs> emotional brunch. So you're both a therapist and a coach. And um, I love that that sort of combination of the two. And I would, I would love for the people who are listening to get an understanding of like, what drew you to that work? Like, what's the history of, of uh, you know, John? And, and yeah. how did you get into that? Um, going through a divorce and then um, my own therapist, um, that experience, seeing a therapist and, and just me falling in love with psychology, uh, dynamics, relationships, how we're wired, all that was so fascinating to me. Uh, but it all started with me deciding to look inward and I uh, went through the long therapist journey. And uh, I, I wasn't a smart, I, didn't, I wasn't academic in school, a uh, C student. And so this idea of going back to grad school to become a therapist was daunting. And my therapist was like, look, you don't need a PhD, you just need a master's, that's two years. Uh, so I did it. And what he forgot to tell me about was the 3,000 hours you have to get after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, it'll be two years and then the rest of your life. Good luck. Yes. And uh, of course, you know, you're underpaid and you're just, it's crazy. And so that took like, I took, I did take a year off because I didn't want to burn out, but that took six years. And wow. So, like, yeah, it was a long journey. Um, I love how you were totally overpromised on the yeah, <laughs> expectations, like totally like, didn't meet him. You could, you know, he's like master of 16 months. And I was like, oh, great. And then, um, yeah, that, that became six years. Uh, and then through that journey, I was also going through a divorce. So I started a blog on Tumblr. Um, and I called it the angry therapist. I thought it was just kind of funny that a therapist was angry. Yeah. But, and looking back, it was like, um, it was actually me or the universe uh, uh, saying, we're going to humanize yourself. And that um, mm. it wasn't just that a therapist is angry, but uh, I pulled the curtain back and started talk to talk about my feelings. I didn't know anyone would read it. It was just a blog I made for myself because I had no, no friends. I had no money. I, I didn't know what to do with my time, you know? And so I was like, I'm just going to document my journey on Tumblr. And... Um, I was like, you know, I'm not happy. I am. I'm angry. I'm just like, all right, the angry therapist. And that's what started it all. Um, and then, you know, that turned into, uh, 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 I'm sure you could relate to this emails and then questions and then people wanting sessions and all of that. Yeah. It's, I love how you said to humanize it because, you know, in, in having had quite a few therapists on the podcast, but also have gone to that massive therapy psych networker every year. Right. Um, there's been a lot of conversations about like one of Terry real, who was on the podcast said like one of the greatest sort of mistakes that therapists can make is, is to not 
um, one take sides when they should, but the other to actually like self-disclose a little bit so that you can be related to and connected to your client. Yeah. And I think, uh, so when I started my journey 10 years ago, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't, that was taboo. Like you weren't supposed to do that. And then in therapy school, they, they, they just, they, they put a lot of shoulds, you know, in your, mm-hmm. in your practice. So, um, I just decided to hop the fence and go the other way because I just, I was just so sick of, um, listening to roles. And, and, uh, when you rebuild your life and you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. And so I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to, my very first post was called my fucking feelings. And I was like, I, I'm sad. <laughs> I'm broken and I'm a therapist and how can I help you? You know, well, is there that pressure? Did you feel like that you sort of threw to the wall, the pressure of, you know, and I, I have had previously felt this is this like pressure to have it figured out because you're supposed to. But then when you finally go, I fucking don't have anything figured out. Like I'm just in the middle of it with you. Yes. Um, Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, when you, when you start getting degrees and, and you, you, uh, especially the way, the way that the world, uh, I mean, a lot, a lot less today, but the way that world sees academia and, uh, and the letters after your name, um, you feel pressured to be, to, to act a certain way or to, you know, wear wrinkle free pants and, uh, <laughs> and, and to present yourself in a certain way. And it just, it wasn't who I am. I felt gross. Like I actually tried it. I went to, um, work in private treatment centers and I, you know, I, I tucked my shirt in, um, I did all that stuff. And I just, I felt like uh, Clark Kent pushing the mail cart. And then when I was <laughs> and I was blogging and I was just like doing stupid shit on YouTube and talking about relationships and just kind of just being myself, um, and I, and I decided to be vulnerable. I, I felt like Superman. I felt like, Oh, this feels right. And so that's what led to, uh, me creating a, a, a journey coaching, which is actually, um, a life coaching intensive where we, you know, certify life coaches. And I just think there's a different way, uh, to help people help people that isn't, you know, traditional. Yeah. And there seems to be that, you know, rather than I'm on the soapbox or the ivory tower with it all figured out and here are all the psychological things you can do. Here's your your trauma. Here's it's like, Hey, I'm in here with you. I might've read and studied and done some things that have led me the tools, you know, to get out of this or to make navigate it. And I think that becomes one of the most connective parts is that, you know, I say to people often, if you've made it through something, then you can teach anyone to get through what you went through. So that's actually, uh, yeah, you hit something on the head there. It's this idea of with you instead of at you. And I think um, the internet is what really promoted all that, you know? Mm, This like shared, I'm alongside you rather than talking down to you. Yeah, Yeah. that's true because the, the internet started to provide authority just through credibility by um, people relating to someone's music, relating to someone's words, relating right. to someone's poetry. And that I love that we have sort of taken the, the person who makes the decision that says your words are going to be more popular than someone else's. So we're going to give you a platform that makes that true. Yes. And also I think that, uh, people now today more than ever can smell bullshit. So, um, the internet has, <laughs> has so like, yeah, it's actually put like a black light on us. And so if you are false, um, we can smell it, you know? And I think um, the internet has brought exposure, which kind of forces us to uh, show ourselves. And I think that's a good thing, you know, because I, especially in my world, I think today people are more interested in who you are uh, than the letters after your name. 
Yeah. So in the context of how the internet has influenced, you know, not only this ability for people to get their voice out and to start, you know, sharing whatever they're passionate about, but also in the context of love and relationship, you know, before we started uh, recording and, and beginning the bo- podcast, you had mentioned that it's also sort of given some exposure to human behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Um, human behavior. I mean, I'll, you know, uh, I, this, this whole idea of um, producing content is just, uh, it's mind blowing because it's it, like, it's taken down the wall where uh, if you do it enough, people can really um, see who you are, see how you are. And I think, especially working with clients online, vice versa. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I don't even see it as social media anymore. I just see it as uh, as just media. I don't even know if it's media. It's like lifestyle or, or the way we communicate now. Yeah. It feels weird that you can actually record <laughs> everything that you do in your life and literally your children, if you really are very transparent and open and you know, all the things your parents can literally watch the history of your, or sorry, your children can watch yes. the history of your life, Yes. which I, you know, I have to say growing up and going to college where in high school where there were no camera phones and no texting i feel so blessed that i have the memories i have that aren't like you know all the shit i did and the mistakes i made are not documented on fucking (laughs) snapchat or something you know like i i got to make out on the dance floor without a cost you know (laughs) like yeah but now man you make i just think there's such a high level of accountability which is good but also, is it as safe to make mistakes, you know, because it's so easy for the internet and for people to persecute each other, like digital yeah. bullying is bullying a real thing. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm torn on that because when I, when I grew up, um, and I know like stereotypically Asians, uh, take a lot of pictures and all that, uh, <laughs> my, my, my parents, there, there's like two photographs of me and one is, uh, me wearing like a, a strawberry shortcake t-shirt at like age seven, because they didn't know that was for, for, for boys or for girls. <laughs> that's cute. Um, yeah. You know, the boy haircut. And then I think uh, there's two or three other photos and that's it. And I kind of wish that they documented, uh, my childhood more so I could actually, you know, watch it. <laughs> but yeah, the kids today, I mean, they're going to have full documentaries on their lives. It's crazy. So when you went through, how old were you when you went through your divorce? Um, I, w- I got married at 29, divorced five years later. So like uh, mid thirties, 34 ish. Wow. So you did like a total reinvention at around, you know, at around 35. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I was a child and a boy and hurting and confused, um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I, I've lived two lives. It was, uh, you know, John Kim before the divorce and then John Kim afterward. That was kind of the, the, the great divide for me. BDAD. I think a lot of people have that before divorce, after divorce. For me, um, similar, like started writing at 35, started looking at relationships when my engagement ended at 27, where I was like, I just don't understand this. Like, right. And I, I agree. There was sort of like a part of me that was just walking through life before and then after I feel like I was actually awake and kind of taking responsibility for my decisions. I don't want to say I was fully stepping in. That's a, that was a progressive experience of like, okay, maybe now I'll take responsibility for these things I've done and this thing. And, you know, the lack of, of actually showing up and communicating. Was it your, um, was it, was it the, uh, the expiration of that engagement that threw you into your, your hero's journey and, and like conversation about love and, and yeah. everything else? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. It was like, the world doesn't make sense to me. I've been doing everything I was taught to do. What the fuck do I actually want? And who am I? I had no idea who I was. Like I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I was yep. like, oh my God, existentialism. We actually might be here for a reason. We're not just fucking mammals that have heartbeats and die. You know, like right. 
that felt, was it for you, the, the same thing, the divorce that really shattered you or woke you up or. Yeah. Um, the divorce kind of cut me my knees. Um, it's funny because when you have to start over, like when you have to, you know, when you're forced to shake your life at just sketch, there's something easy about um, starting over if you have uh, nothing to lose. Like if you've lost everything um, and, you know, you're starting from ground zero, it, it's almost easier because mm-hmm. you almost like just don't care, you know, and all your definitions can be new. You can start exploring. And, and I, I did that across the board with uh, – not just like relationships and love and dating and all that, but also like with fitness, with um, who I am, like, you know, the question that you're asking yourself well, back in the day, um, how, what do I want to do with my life? Like, how do I want to hang that on meaning, uh, my connection to self, like all of that, you know? Yeah. And in your divorce experience and then that transformation, you know, and for me, when the engagement ended, I disappointed so many people mm-hmm. and hurt so many people that it was like, I'm done with the bullshit. Like I'm, it was progress. It was a, a, a process though. This like removing what wasn't mine and, and really giving birth to who I truly was and, and like feeding those parts of me that I'm like, wait, I really want to have these conversations about love, which felt like a total uh, rebellion against the masculine sort of design. Yeah. And I think that, um, it's the beginning, but I think that, you know, once we knock over that first domino, it never ends. Meaning, um, I'm still learning about love and I, and mm-hmm. I still try to, uh, see, I, I try to be a student to love. It, yeah, it's, it's the only way. Yeah. It's the only way that it continues. And you, and, and I, I don't think you could ever stop learning about love because, you know, we're always experiencing different love experiences. Yeah. And I feel like the, you know, with my partner, we've been together three and a half years and I'm just in such unknown territory. Like I've never been with these skills that are continuing to develop and the walls I keep hitting, the limits I keep hitting within myself because I'm literally like banging my head into bushes and stuff because I've never seen this path walked. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is I think this is where for many, the road forks, and this is why I keep saying you got to swim past the breakers because when we um, get into something that doesn't smell familiar, we uh, many times run from it and what happens is that we just end up repeating same patterns. And so we don't end up discovering anything new. We're, we just, we're just like living yesterday, you know? Yeah. I love this thought of that new love versus old love, right? Like this, yes. this space between that transition from we are in this lusting, amazing phase where literally, even if you fart, I won't even notice you are so human. You are so <laughs> not human. You're like right. held up in this light where it transitions to, uh, you know, I think it's Harville Hendricks that calls it the fall from grace. Right. Where it's like, finally, this princess poops and this prince, you know, has, yeah. you know, they, they sits on the couch or whatever. You notice and the dirty socks on the floor. Like you, you, you see the three, 360 view of a person instead of just a cardboard cutout. Yeah. So what do you recommend when someone, well, first, how do you identify that versus um, this relationship just isn't aligned? You know, I think, um, yeah, not to give you a hard question or anything. No, no, no. I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, can I you think, solve this for all of us, please? Yeah, no, I can't. I could, we could just start like, uh, looking at it from different angles. And yeah. I think, I think, um, when, when, when we say old love versus new love, I, I think it's young love versus healthy love. So mm. I think, uh, our early love experiences, um, I, I think they're unhealthy because, you know, when we're in high school, college, in our 20s, we usually just pull from what we feel. 
you know, we don't, we don't know anything better. So we're, and then also like our programming, you know, uh, Disney movies and uh, the notebook and all these, uh, you know, romantic comedies and this idea of what love uh, should look like, which is all fantasy. Mm. Um, and we don't see the uh, documentary, right, of a relationship and how to build a relationship. We just go by what we feel. And, and, and a lot of that, I think, is, uh, has to do with how we're wired based on, you know, our upbringing and also with that uh, um, addiction, um, codependency, like all those big words. So we're almost positioned to fall into something unhealthy. And then because that imprint is like powder snow, and, and then we start chasing that and we think that's what love is uh, because that dopamine is so rich you know because it, it's not only our first experience but that dysfunction is actually um it's what we're used to you know probably from growing up yeah from watching and, and i think we're all prone and are programmed to take on some level of codependency oh yeah, yeah of course absolutely. you know like I mean, the patriarchy is codependency yeah, I mean, you know, in high school is is all code. I mean, it's all codependency. Oh my god, I was codependent on steroids, probably. You know, not on literal steroids, but codependent steroids. And <laughs> I think about that. You know, the as a high school, the first love that I had was for sure love. It was so intense and it was right. passionate. And right. but the amount of like behaviors I allowed versus what I should have allowed really came from this desire to be in a relationship more than to stand and hold on to myself, you know? Yeah. And I think at that age and even, you know, even our twenties and for, for many, even our thirties, if you don't have a sense of self, uh, because you haven't gone through any kind of, um, journey or rebirth, then your, your default is going to be depending, you know, whether it's depending on someone else or, um, whatever family friends there's going to be um a, a losing sense of self if you don't have a strong stance right and so most of us um in our in high school in in our 20s in college uh love is what we become dependent on that's where we actually find our identity mm. and so when you because i love what you use there as the distinguishing sort of separation of young love versus healthy love and this yeah. like constant chase of the feeling of the young love but what is it that delineates, like, what do you think we're afraid of in the healthy love or, or just from that programming from childhood, Disney movies, the notebook, what is that space that, that, that really defines healthy love versus young love? Well, I, I think a lot of times, um, people, so everyone wants healthy love, of course, but then when they actually start to, uh, experience it, it, they they're like oh this isn't what i thought like you know it's, it's, it's boring what it is be happening boring? here yeah <laughs> I, I know everything you're gonna say like come on yeah <laughs> and, and it's like i and, and I've, I've learned over the years that uh, because i used to chase after the lightning in the bottle and i thought that was love you know seeing someone across the room and meeting eyes and all that um i think that's dysfunction i think that if it's that Dude, powerful I totally agree and so I think healthy love, you're, you, it takes time. It, it takes peeling um, layers. And it, it, it's also going to bring up resistance. And you may define that resistance as um, not being attracted to someone. You know? and, and this is why it's like if you, yeah. if you stay there, if you sit with it, if you, um, you know, kind of hold hands and explore it together, that's when you can start building something real. You know? And the thing about healthy love is it's built. And this is like the, the – the big thing for me is that um, unhealthy love or young love isn't usually built. It's just two people colliding, you know? Yeah. Um, and then calling it fate. 
and calling it the one, calling <laughs> right, it the exactly. one, calling it soulmate. I mean, I know some people that are stuck wanting their twin flame who doesn't want them, but because they've defined yeah. them as a twin flame, they can't move forward. You know, and I think when we date with such a scarce perspective, it is a very immature way of loving. It is, I'm going to place all of these. It's kind of like when someone goes to a, a psychic right. and the psychic's like, hey, uh, just so you know, you're not going to find anyone in this life and you're probably not going to have kids or whatever. You're going to get divorced. It's like, that's all going to be true if you place your whole life in the hands of this person. But you yeah. can choose your way in a different way. I don't believe in that, like you're predestined, because that takes away the whole power of choice. Yeah. And absolutely. responsibility. And, you absolutely. know, like what you said about that, that like dysfunction of, of catching eyes across, you know, we are in love with this idea of a story, which I'm not going to lie. I loved that story. And I loved being in dysfunction. Oh, yeah, I, me too. Yeah, absolutely. This dysfunction is filled with serotonin and dopamine and all these rushes like a drug and variety and new, you know, skin, new people, new hearts, new, you know, which that can become very addictive. It's exciting. It's, it's why people watch Korean dramas and Telemundo. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it makes life um, it, it, like the, the word you said was boring. Yeah, it's the complete opposite of boring. Yeah. And it was easy for me to stay in the cycle of that because I could keep saying, I just haven't met that connection yet. Like yes. it was a way that I could bypass that I was truly just afraid of being loved. And in my experience, at least, and I'd love to get your take, um, the majority of what I actually see is self-sabotage that prevents someone from actually loving us. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot of stuff running underneath of why um, mm -hmm. there's people who are avoidant. There's uh, um, I think there's a, a lot of a lot of people who subconsciously be, uh, believe that they're not deserving of love, um, maybe because of uh, how they're raised or whatever. And so that's the, the stuff that's running underneath. And so because of that, they self-sabotage. Um, or if something feels real and they think it's going to be lasting sustainable, then they, they you know, uh, they they pick things apart or they find the reason to run. Yeah. They like set standards that are really just walls. Right. Um, but, but all of that uh, is, is coming from dysfunction. All of that mm -hmm. is coming from not a healthy place. And then what happens is if they allow themselves to, to keep doing that and they're not aware of it, then they're just repeating this. I mean, the only thing changing uh, is, is faces. Yeah, right. They just keep getting to the same place, blaming other people for not being able to show up. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, movie tickets go up and all of that. They buy things and it's great. It's great for consumerism. But um, <laughs> yeah, they, that's true. They don't they don't, uh, they don't actually find healthy. Um, and, I, you know, I think the greatest misconception with healthy is that it falls on our lap. Uh, and, and if anything, mm. I want to tell people that relationships like a, a brand or like business or whatever, it's built. It's built yeah. by day. And you know what? Some days are going to uh, have that movie magic. And some days you're going to look at your partner and be like, eh, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it is, that's, that's what human being, being human is, you know? Yeah. It's to not like have this undying craving for your partner in every moment, which is yeah. actually unhealthy. That's like total right. enmeshment, you know, right. it's like, right. I need you like a drug, you know, but there's yes. times when I'm sure my partner looks at me and is like, your hair, you're just a mess, you know, like, which is fair because sometimes I am. And can someone love me in that moment? 
Like nice. if we think we always have to have our shit together, you know, to be loved, then that's not love. Love, um, I think love is a daily choice. And I do think love comes in moments. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that moment where um, um, you, 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 you see uh, someone or feel something uh, because it's different than last time or you have these like micro revelations. At least for me, you know, love, love isn't like a con. It's not like you switch the uh, light switch on on and it's a constant. For me, it's a, it's a dance. It comes in moments and it fluctuates. And it's almost like um, there's you, there's your partner, and then there's what you guys are building, which is the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think the relationship is its own living, breathing thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my dad said that to me as a kid. I just didn't understand it <laughs> at the time. Oh, that's amazing. He, I know. He was like, it's a separate organism and you have to nurture it. And I was like, sure, dad. Okay, cool. Um, I, but I, I as an adult, great. I remember that. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it obviously had some impact. And I agree with you that there are, like, when you think about, Stephen Covey has that analogy that you have to think about the relationship being like a bank account, that that when you do things, you not only take withdrawals, but you make deposits. And yeah. you have to maintain a healthy balance. And I totally agree with that. It's all about these like micro moments of the little things. And the research supports all that, that it's all about these seemingly unimportant moments, the space between the beats, you know, the like moment when your partner is just is reading something and makes a sound and is asking unconsciously for you to say, what, what are you reading? What are you, you know, and I, right. It is an interesting space that we're in where we're rewarded so much for, you know, pictures of our butt on Instagram or, you know, where like, which is the dopamine hit, which is the chase, which is, don't get me wrong, like, you can have a brand built on that. But it's like, who are you beyond that? Yeah, I think one of the things that are uh, that's so dangerous about Instagram is um, this whole grass is greener syndrome because now it's amplified it. I mean, it's like, it's become a bonfire because you're now watching um, friends and, and other people and other relationships. And of course, a lot of it's filtered, right? A lot of it's positioned and it's just because we're human. It's very hard not to be curious of, of, of what else is out there or what another relationship looks like. And what you're seeing isn't necessarily true. It's advertising. Yeah, that it is this highlight reel that is meant to make you think they're good because they don't want to expose their humanness, the side of them that hurts, this side of them. Like for me, when I finally just got to say, this is who I am and here's all the things I'm most ashamed of, because I just started to do that, which would be like my own um, exorcism of my shame was to write about what I fucked up and how I did. And then what I did was I would then write what I learned from it. Yeah. And that was the only way I could really process it was to say, like, no one can ever do a tell all about me because I already told all, you know, and right. it's, that's just way easier for me because I never wanted a public profile where someone could be like, oh, Mark is total bullshit. He made out with me 10 years ago in college. I'm like, yeah, I made out with tons of chicks in college. So I can't <laughs> say that, you know. Yeah. It's also a, a form of taking ownership. What you just mm-hmm. mentioned, you know. Yeah, I felt like it was I took the power back of the story. Yes. Yes. And so in that conversation about sort of the representation of, you know, the young love versus healthy love and, you know, before you and I had started recording, we talked a bit about like the separation of the desire to want to be, because I think this is this misrepresentation of who we think people want us to be and how we use that as a protection from actually connecting. And, you know, we had discussed just like this design of this like nice guy versus you know, this bad boy, bad boy. Yeah. Um, 
and that can be cross gender, you know, that's not gender specific, sure. but it's the unique aspects of what it is. And about like that book, um, there's that book, why men love bitches, you know? And so, <laughs> right, right. so I think it's a similar sort of dynamic, but do you want to go into your thoughts on that? Yeah. So my take on that is, um, and this, this came from me, uh, recently watching that 90s show reality bites, um, which and, I have to watch. I haven't watched. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. Maybe. So I, you know, I, I it was one of my favorite movies back in the day, and I think I was in high school when that came out. And so to to watch it again as a forty six year old was really interesting because um, in that movie it has the bad boy, like you know the 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 poet with the guitar over his shoulder who can't commit, and um, that's played by Ethan Hawke, and he's very clever. And he's, oh, he's so perfect in that role at that yeah, time. You know, and he's like hiding behind his bangs, and you know we we know that character. And then there was the um, the nice guy, which is Ben Stiller. And he has like a job and he's um, horrible <laughs> and transparent, but he's also kind of like boring. And, and, and in high school, everyone was rooting for uh, Winona Ryder to get with Troy, which was a bad boy because they just presented it like, Oh yeah, that's your soulmate. That's, you know, um, but, but then as a 46 year old, I, I was watching it and I was like, this is actually sad because I saw the car crash coming, you know, I saw, <laughs> I saw the sequel to this movie, which is her now going into Al-Anon meetings, discovering codependency, you know, <laughs> him, him cheating on her, like all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah like I see the birth of, of, of how this happens. Um, and I, it's like I, 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 uh, I wore, a, I wore the, uh, the other T-shirt, T-shirt for the other team in, in watching it as a 46 year old. And I think um, I had to go through my own experiences. And I think, uh, you know, with the, so going back to the bad boy idea, I, I think part of it might be addiction, meaning, um, so my dad's an alcoholic and I come from, I have that gene, right? So I can be very, uh, with addiction, there's uh, 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 impulsivity, there is um, unpredictableness. Uh, I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> there's, it is uh, now, it is now. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's there's that, and, and all that stuff uh, translates into, into excitement. And, 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 you know, addicts are also very charismatic and, you could also throw a, ho a quarter and hit an addict. And, you know, so I, I think sometimes um, people who have that gene um, uh, or if it's in their family tree, they could easily uh, be, be characterized as, as the bad boy um, because the addictive behavior um, falls in line uh, of, you know, with excitement and they're kind of reckless and exciting. And it's like, you know, it's the, um, the James Dean kind of character in, in the fifties movies. Um, and then on the other side, you have the, uh, the, the codependent, the alanine person, you know, the person who um, is enabling. And, and I just feel like if you put these two people in a room, they, they just will, they'll end up, doesn't matter what they look like. They'll end up together. No oh, they'll have fireworks. The best yeah. wounded chemistry to ever walk the earth. Yeah. So I think that's one dynamic. I'm sure there's many more, um, but that's mm -hmm. the one that I'm, that I'm the most familiar with. And I think um, um, uh, I, in my twenties, I was definitely, uh, I would fall under the bad boy category, not because I, you know, had cool hair or I could play the guitar. I didn't have any of that, um, but because I had the addiction, <laughs> you know, because I had a short temper because I didn't treat women well, because I was like, you know, I love you get away. Like all that stuff that makes someone, um, exciting quote unquote. Oh yeah. I, I share the exact same journey in my twenties of like being so hurt that I went right. from nice guy to bad boy. Cause I thought right. that would get some good results. It doesn't FYI for anyone. Yeah. And, and then the question is now, you know, as, um, as you get older, can you actually choose to be, and I mean, listen, there has to be some chemistry. I'm not saying to just go like be with your yeah. friend, but <laughs> can you choose a nice guy 
quote unquote, um, and build something sustainable and then fall in love with him and, and be attracted to him as you, uh, as you uh, were, you know, the bad boy. And I think you can, because you change um, as well, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think there's a, the delineation that separates like what makes a bad boy attractive to me is that their walls appear like solid boundaries and high self-worth. Like it's like, it's like that masquerading as it's like when pickup artists teach, they teach you to sort of act like you don't give a shit because someone who has high self-worth is not going to pay attention to behaviors that shouldn't get attention, which if you were talking just in the context of heteronormativity, attractive women get most attention and are not used to that. Right. You know, attractive people are not used to that, which is interesting. But all that, but all that comes from like a deeper insecurity. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not. Um, I mean, to pretend that you don't want someone because you're pretending it's come from insecurity. It's not coming from truth. Yeah, of course, because it's not authentic. So eventually, the role you've been playing is going to come down when you get rejected or get triggered because you're not going to have the true skill sets of someone who's secure and has high self worth. Well, yeah, and then what happens is, um, you know, that's why these relationships don't last. Is one the dust settles and you realize that you know after the uh the charisma and everything else that you 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 fell for you realize this person's actually a child and doesn't have tools then you're like oh kind of repulsed you know <laughs> yeah and, you're definitely not attracted to that right and it's 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 also like i like this idea of um i talk about love buds changing like taste buds and i think mm. as we get older and we work on ourselves um we we experience secondary change so uh for example, like today, I, I, I could only probably eat about a donut and a half. Um, but before, you know, just like five years ago, I could inhale six donuts. And so <laughs> my, I'm not proud of that, but my, my, yeah. my taste buds have, they've literally changed where it just, I just can't eat as much sugar, you know, it affects my body differently. And I think it's the same with love where if you have been in many relationships where there was, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the telemundo or the drama or the, the, the toxicity, abuse, whatever, um, you get to a point when you start working on yourself where, where your love buds change and what you were attracted mm. to before, now, now you're almost repelled by. Mm. I love that, that there's yeah. this. And, I, and maybe that also, like I think about how as we get older, our tolerance for BS goes down because we've probably tolerated a lot. Like ideally yeah. it does. You yeah, know, and also like, I mean, as a man, you know, when you were in high school and, and uh, in college, you and I don't know if I guess I should say I statements. I was um, I could I could be uh, swept off my feet by uh, just you know aesthetics, uh, 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 just someone very attractive. Uh, but today it takes a lot more than a pretty face, if that makes sense. Right? Yeah, this like desire to want to connect on such a deeper level. I mean, for me, I found that I ran from any woman who could love me as mm-hmm. I was going through my growth. Like right. I was not. I would come up with like, my stomach would actually get sort of sick if they told me like, I really like you. It was like a trauma response, you know? That's really interesting. So why do you think that is? Because of what belief? Uh, Because I had a belief that if I actually let someone love me, they would betray me and and cheat on me and lie to me. And I would then lose myself. And so that was living in that. Yeah, I think a lot of us, I talk a lot about false beliefs and, you know, a lot of our false beliefs or limited beliefs, they stem from 
um, our upbringing, but they're stored in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where we pull from like 90% of the time. And so if that is your false belief, um, then yeah, you're going to do things um, like sabotage or run away or whatever because of that false belief. But once you start to dissolve that false belief, then the behavior changes and then you're able to um, be in relationships or you're able to allow someone to love you. Um, so the fact that you are in something now where you are allowing someone to love you and, 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 and I'm sure, you know, it's, it's some days it's not easy. Some days it's hard, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's actually proof that you have dissolved in, uh, or that you have, you know, uh, dissolved some of that false, those false beliefs about yourself. Yeah. When I got that sort of awareness and, um, I guess that experience of recognizing that I couldn't let anyone love me because, uh, Kelly Marceau said to me when I first met her. She said, uh, have you ever actually let a woman love you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, shit. You know, I, right, right. I thought about like, when was the last time I actually let someone love me? Like truly. And it had been about yeah. 15 years. So that was a, that understanding that that unconscious belief actually steered my life without me even knowing. That was a, uh, that was a pivotal moment for you. Is when, oh uh, my gosh. When Kelly asked you that. It hit you, huh? Oh, it hit me like a truck. I pretended like I was fine on the rest of the call. I got off the call and it was like my whole life, a Rolodex just went through my head of all right. the moments I ran from anyone who cared. I'll bet you anything um, there are people listening who um, are shaken by that question. I mean, that's such a powerful question. Um, have you ever let anyone really love you? Huh, yeah. I mean, that like, yeah, that's flooring. It can be. And, you know, the questions are like the rudders, right, of our life. I think in the mm -hmm. direction that we go. And if you, if you actually ask yourself that question, has have you ever allowed anyone to really love you? Man, that that could change so much of your behavior and determine your choices. I mean, just that question alone. Yeah, and I I started to see that I was not like I was initially attracted to the space between me and another. But as soon as that space got too close of, of someone who, because I attracted really wonderful, amazing women. I've never had like, you know, that other experience of toxicity. Yeah. But man, it was almost like I truly like the little kid in me or like the one who really wanted to love, which was also a teenager for sure, um, wanted to desperately be able to choose them. But as soon as they got close, so then I danced in unavailability and I danced yeah. in spaces of like women who just got out of relationships, short term I never did one night stands. I did two so that you never had to right, say right. I've had a one night stand. Just kidding. I did do a couple, but, um, <laughs> your, your dance was also a moonwalk. Yeah. Out the back yeah. Door. <laughs> Not a very stylish one, but yeah. for sure. What about yourself? Did that like after your divorce, did you have a hard time letting people in? Um, no, I, w I was kind of the opposite where um, I, I was uh, always jumping into relationships just from one lily pad to another lily pad. And I've always been a hopeless romantic. I've always been mm -hmm. into, um, you know, one person and just like pouring myself uh, into that one person like that. That's what love meant for me. Um, but after, you know, after the divorce, I spent about five years um, just exploring myself and who I was and what I wanted. And, uh, you know, and of course I've had many relationships uh, since then and, uh, lots of love lessons and learnings. Mm. Um, and, 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 and listen, I continue to, I don't, um, I don't think just because, uh, you build a quote unquote, a healthy relationship that it, that it's easy or that it stops. You know, no, that expectation will let so many people down. Like if anyone holds that ideal that 
you know, like any relationship, like an Instagram highlight relationship is like, oh, so when we get to that point, we'll just go on trips and everything will be great. We'll probably yeah. hardly ever fight. And if we do, we'll just always feel heard. God, no. No, I mean, and, and that, that's the, the other misconception. Um, um, I would, yeah, and also a reminder to anyone listening that relationships are hard. You know, <laughs> like people think that if um, the easier relationship is, is, is uh, means that you're with the right person, and that's not true. Oh, God, I remember reading. Have you read uh, The Art of Love by Eric Fromm? No, I haven't read that one. Uh, he's such a brilliant, I think he's a psychologist, but I would say a poet. And in it, he says, there is no act that humans fail at more than love and still don't bother to learn about. Like, mm-hmm. it will be the greatest determinant of our health in our lives. And yet, we don't take the time generally to actually learn the skills. And he's like, if we were physicians or something like that, we would go to school, we would learn physiology, we would learn pathology. And he's like, but with love, there's this expectation that we should just be good at it. Why do you think that is? You think it's, um, you, you think it's just because like in high school and stuff, we don't, there's no such thing as relationship 101. Do you think it's because of media, movies? Why do you think it is? You know, I agree with what you said earlier about um, movies, you know, like Disney teaching us this sort yeah. of uh, woman needs to be saved. I mean, yep. think of those cartoons where the woman's tied to the train track, you know, and right, this guy right. comes along on a horse. I also think it's that previous generations, which I can understand, um, were not taught. They sort of inherited their relationship style. And because there was no intervention, like you said, the relationship was one-on-one course in high school doesn't exist. I think in a lot of ways, because one, if you're to teach family systems in high school, people are actually currently in their family system. So that could be pretty challenging to learn that your parents are dysfunctional, even though you know they are. Yeah. Um, but when you're in the system and you're, you know, you come home from school in grade 10 and you're like, mom, dad, you guys are codependent, you know, like that, <laughs> that becomes challenging. And I think we need to s- teach it separate of family systems, just emotional intelligence and conflict resolution. But the, I think the other side is that, that previous generations have a lot of shame and a lot of, um, they're like a lot of inauthenticity about really showing up in relationship, you know, yeah, and, you, you- I just had this thought um, when you're talking about family systems in high school, if uh, we were able to learn about things like triangling and if mom has a problem with dad, the let her go to the source instead of you. And, and this idea of raising your differentiation of self and all of that, holy shit, you would actually prevent a lot of probably the dysfunction and the trauma that sets you up for, oh. for chasing the bad boy and getting into toxic relationships, you know? God, could you imagine? I mean, I think this is what it's all about is like, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what you can access now on Instagram is you could just go follow someone you really relate to and listen to podcasts like this one. You know, there's lots of good podcasts. And all of a sudden you're like, like, think about in high school, I didn't have access to this information. If I went through a breakup, I could go on a dial up, but we didn't have the internet really. You know, I couldn't look up like five ways to get over your ex. It was like, good luck, put on boys to men and marinate in the end of the road and just be sad. Mark, this is the whole Starsky and Hutch thing, man. And I think this is why, <laughs> this is why I'm fist bumping you is like, <laughs> you're, you're actually, or I guess we are actually, um, are teaching in, a, in an indirect way um, to whoever wants to uh, absorb information. Um, and so they, they can be high school kids, you know? 
God, I, I feel like that's such a gift to receive and to be part of, to, to be able to share what we didn't do well and what we're learning so that other people can learn. And, and, you know, I learn from people all the time. And I love that you were saying that earlier, like you're always the student. And there's a Hindu saying that is uh, he who knows, knows not. And he who knows yeah. not knows. And that right. has always related for me is like, if you're always curious and open to being wrong and not having it figured out, you'll just be a great human. Yeah, I, I think that once you believe that you know, you don't know. <laughs> That's when the ceiling comes, right? That's when your growth is now done. Um, if you always are curious and believe that there's more learning you don't know, then it's just that you're always expanding and expansive, you know? Yeah, and you'll be like open in a conversation with your partner to seeing their side as being different than your side. Yeah, and that, yeah. and there's validity in that, that their life experience and their relational experience can be different than yours. And that doesn't mean that you don't love each other. Yes. I think one of the powerful, most powerful tools in a relationship is to actually um, have a deepening curiosity about your partner. Like, you know, why they said what they said, uh, you know, why they, they think, you know, how they think, where they come from, all that stuff. Uh, because when you're curious, you can't judge, you know, like you can't have both at the same time. So when you're curious, mm. um, you are creating space for empathy. Um, you are discovering, you are expanding as a person. Um, and not just in, in, in uh, your, your conversations, but like also curious, like in the bedroom, being curious, mm. you know, trying different things. Um, if not, then our default is usually judgment. And that judgment, it comes from everything, from advertising to family to, to you know, friends to locker rooms. And so when we're pulling from judgment, we are um, stunting our relationship because we're trying to force it to be a certain way instead of allowing it to grow. You know, mm, instead of allowing to be stay connected to the truth of how it is. Yes. And also mm. that, that truth, allow, that. It, it allows, it allows the relationship to expand, but it also forces the people that are in the relationship to expand and grow. And it's also going to be uncomfortable in that way. So when you talk about the judgment, do you mean in the context of like, you have this narrative or thought or expectation of how the conversation should go, of how your sex should go, of how your relationship should go. So in that moment, when you don't allow it to be, you are comparing it to this narrative and a judgment of, is that, did I get that? Yes, you're tracing a blueprint. Um, and that's not uh, what love is about. And I think that um, when there's judgment, there's a lot of shoulds. I mean, even down to like, you know, what, what you should wear <laughs> to what you think should be funny and what, and, um, that you're, you're not allowed, you're not creating soil for love to grow and expand and, and see the, you know, you're not able to see then all the sides and dimensions and layers to mm. um, your partner uh, as you should. Instead, you're, you're turning uh, him or her into a cardboard cutout and then you're turning the relationship into probably uh, stuff that you've been in or remnants of the past. Um, and so, yeah, then, that, then it's not like this expanding bigger than you type of thing, you know? Yeah. And I think of that being in that moment when you accept them unconditionally for however they're showing up, whoever they're being without a tolerance for abuse and all that stuff, just for any empaths listening who this further enables. But it's like in that space where you are compassionate to how the relationship is currently being, how that person is showing up, what their dreams are, their vulnerabilities, you are doing that for yourself in that moment. Like the more yes. space you give them to be themselves, the yes. more actual freedom and space you give yourself, which is, I feel like is just this big sigh, you know, to go, ah, finally, like, finally, I don't have to be so stiff. I don't yeah. have to be so stuck. I don't have to be so curated. I think most of us wait for the other person to do 
what we want. So we're like, we're not willing to let go of the tug of war rope. Um, yeah. when, you pull, when you pull from curiosity, when you are, and uh, you know, being um, practice empathy and compassion and trying to see the spirit of, 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 of uh, who someone is instead of uh, judging their behavior, um, then you're letting the rope go. And by doing that, you're going to get that reciprocated, you know, um, why not go first? Cause most people don't want to go first. And that's why their relationships just end up being, uh, just, you know, two people reacting constantly. So they don't want to be the one who takes the vulnerable leap and invites the other person. They want someone else to lead them. Yeah. And that's, I think that's yeah. ego. I think that's pride. You know, I also, I struggle with that as well. You know, I'm an Aries man. I, um, I, <laughs> I'm always waiting. It's like, no, you go first, you know? <laughs> yeah. I remember being in a conflict with Kylie and, you know, we are both, uh, people who shut down generally. Yeah. You know, that's our like natural default is to just freeze and then want to withdraw. And I had a thought the other day, like, just say sorry. That's the right thing to do. Come towards her. And the like kid in me was like, no, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I had to be like, oh, you teach this stuff. This is the right thing. So I like walked over and I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. You know, and that, but in that is a bridge of connection to a place that if I trace back my blueprint and my history, I'd never been in that moment before. I'd never, right. you know, like till I learned those skills, I'd never been beyond, I'd never been connected beyond where the shutdown disconnected me. Yeah. That's really and, interesting. Well, that's that other edge of like, I ran from people who might love me. Now I'm showing up and loving despite that fear. And what that does is I, that's where I was saying earlier, like the bushes, I'm getting them in the face. Cause I've never, I've never been in that where conflict turns to deeper intimacy and more connection and to be seen in the moment where you want to shut down. It's well, that, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say um, you have to swim past the breakers to reach the calm. And I think a lot of people, um, when they uh, feel the resistance, whether it's in a relationship or within themselves, they don't swim past uh, to reach the calm. They bounce or they date someone else or they cheat or they do all these other things, you know? Mm, they sabotage. You know, they sabotage, yeah. right? Um, but actually sitting in it, uh, sitting with it, um, allowing things to come up and looking inward. Uh, that's the work, you know, that, I mean, that's the inner work, I think. And then from that, you have the awareness and revelations, and then you swim past that and you're like, oh shit, this is what growth looks like. This is what happens when you let go of the rope. You know, this is what happens when you actually go first or try to understand before trying to be understood. This is what happens when you respond instead of react. And then you create new love experiences. Um, and then from there, you create new definitions. And this is when your love taste buds change. And then you're like, oh, now that I've tasted this, the other shit repels me. Ah, okay. So do you think the space, I love that, that transition that happens when you move to a space that changes the story, heals the wound. Yeah. So do you think in that space of where the couple might be in that transition from new love versus, you know, young love versus healthy love that fall from grace is what do you think is the like turning point there? Is it this space where they finally do, you know, nurture a wound and, and love each part of like get to know each other's wounds and then move beyond that with a different behavior. Like if they're used to being critical and angry that they like pull back and create space, or if they're used to running, they actually stay a little longer. Like, what do you yeah. think is that transition? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. It's a lot, it's all of that. It's the, you know, kind of the opposite of what you would normally do, but also it, it, it comes with consistency. So it can't just happen mm -hmm. once. Right. It has yeah. to be where you're um, in that 
and you're swimming and you're loving and you're, you know, um, hurting and healing and growing and and you're doing it consistently. Um, and you're talking about things and you're, uh, you know, building trust and, and, and all of that. And I think that the more consistent you are, and I I think this is why communication is so huge, uh, because communication is kind of the bridge there. Um, the the more consistent you are, the more that you're actually going to uh, have like internal shifts where you're like, oh, this this is this is different, this is new, and also um, it's continuing to expand. So it's like uh, its own living, breathing thing. It's not like a a, a one time thing. Yeah, that makes sense. That it's this consistent new set of behaviors rather than just a one off. Yes. Yes. And then I, I think that uh, that's what's supposed to happen. So that love then becomes the thing that um, changes you like individually, both the both parts as in the, the, the couple. Yeah. That the, like all of our real wounding occurs in relationship and, you know, oh, yeah. it's, we can Absolutely. only heal so much on yeah. our own, but you know, relationships can also heal the wounds. A corrective, yeah. a corrective relationship, you know? And so that's why it's so important um, for people to, to choose healthy relationships so the relationship itself can heal the wounds. Now, and here's the other thing. It doesn't mean that you're, you're necessarily meant to be with that person forever. You know, like the reality is relationships expire and whatever. But because um, I think a lot of people put weight on forever. Mm, I totally agree with you. And it makes them not have hard conversations. Yeah. And it just also, it just, it makes them judge. It makes them panic. It makes them, you know, all those things. So um, if you see, you know, your responsibility to uh, bring your, 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 all your wounds to the table, but also your awareness and your uh, desire to heal everything to the, the, the table where two people are doing that. And then what you guys grow or give birth to is this relationship that becomes bigger than its parts. And then the relationship itself heals the two people like to me that's Uh, like that's like that's everything that's like life that like to me that's like it's not a human thing it's like a universe god bigger i mean then to me it like that makes the world make sense to me you know what i'm saying i i totally agree that that gives purpose to life that is like my soul feels free to be itself which doesn't mean it's free from challenge or struggle but it's like i feel free to be me in the context of this unconditional love i've achieved with this person which is separate from them but curated with them you know and i think that is the space where our bodies calm our traumas calm our fight flight freeze calms and our our really like the level of inflammation we have in our body starts to really just settle and that's why i think there's so much relate i mean there's so much research to show that there's a relation between your your conflict in your relationship and the inflammation you have in your body. I mean, of course there's data out about how your microbiome is affected by the level of conflict in your relationship. And more people have leaky gut who have high levels of conflict. You know, it's, it's crazy the way our bodies process that. And I, I know, uh, I forget the researcher, but he's from Northwestern. He wrote a book called the all or nothing marriage, Eli Finkel. And he talks about how formally our relationships are where we met our Maslow's lowest needs. Right. So in marriage, we got shelter, we got food, we got sex, we got, yeah. And he talks about how the relationships today are, if they're good, are better than they've ever been. Yeah. And, and we can actually through love with another, through the mirror of feedback can actually reach self-actualization through relationship, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. It's really interesting how like, um, and I know we're approaching an hour, so we can wrap it up, but I, I, you know, like marriage used to be about land. 
And yeah. you know, it was very in-laws, in- getting more in-laws. Like right. what the hell? But you know, but going from that to now, us even having these conversations of what relationships and love can be, even on a spiritual level, um, it, it's like the same thing as like you know, from the uh, printing press to the internet. I, I really think that you know, we mm-hmm. can, we're growing and expanding at such an exponential rate that this is all good news. You know? Yeah, like I do agree. Not only is our our, our expectations of relationship i feel like are higher if we're willing to show up for those and to bring the skill sets that are necessary and the humility then we can we can create what we've never even dreamed of it gives everyone a second chance yeah and everyone can learn how to love it is not reserved for lucky people or wealthy people right everyone can learn how to love right right the important caveat i wanted to mention too is that Sometimes you said that uh, not every relationship is meant to last forever, which I love because that's the truth because not all of them do. Um, but also on the, and that was a reality that I woke up to, you know, when my engagement ended was just like, oh, what's the truth? But the second side of that is sometimes the learning of our relationship is actually learning how to leave things that aren't good for us, yeah, you know, and say no and set boundaries. Because I feel there's always like this possibility that someone's listening to stay further in something that's super unhealthy. No, I mean you got to do what's honest to you, and uh, anything unhealthy, uh, you should, you should, you should. I mean, if anything toxic or abusive or someone's assassinating your character, of course. Yeah, the, the, if you don't leave that, then you're also now puncturing holes in, in your own your own self worth. You know. Yeah, that you keep feeding the same cycle that makes you feel like it's about like it's your fault. It's about right. you. Right. Yeah. Well, in in the context of one, because I know you offer so many. Like you have your daily texting, right? Yeah, I'm just a kid playing with his Legos, man. I don't. Yeah, I love it. it. I love it, and I see so many of um, the people that follow me are subscribed to your um, your texting. texting. So yeah. let people know where can they get that? Because oh, what is uh, it? What is it? It, it just uh, it started off as an experiment to see if I could use texting as a platform to you know give someone a daily reminder or shift in mindset, and now it's grown into like now I'm sending uh, private Google Doc links. I'm sending uh, you know videos and shit. So <laughs> it's been really fun. Um, it just they angrytherapist.com or on my instagram uh, at the angry therapist and it's just uh you get a, a text a day for five days yeah and you also have uh one book out and another book coming right yeah i have um i actually have two books out i have one book that no one knows about that i wrote um a long time ago it's kind of like my indie book and then uh, uh the commercial book is i used to be a miserable fuck um I love that title. Yeah. And then then I I had resistance to it at first, but then of course I, uh, even with that, I swam past the breakers and sat with it and and then had so authentic to you, you know, and that's what makes it so beautiful. Yeah. And then the next one I can't talk about, but I'm halfway done writing it. And um, that's going to uh, be out in 2020, I believe. And it'll be um, more for single people. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. It, it, uh, (laughs) it's this idea that Barbie never needed Ken, that all she uh, needed was that convertible vet. We gave her a house and a man. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be, I already know that there's people like giving some hurrahs listening (laughs) to this. Um, and so people can find you at your website, find you on your Instagram Yep. and grab your book. Yep. Uh, it's wide Amazon airports, wherever you want, wherever you want to get it. Awesome. You know, John, thank you so much for being on today. Like just to be able to wrap with you and get into your head and your heart and what you think about and what drives you. Um, your work is amazing. I love following you. I love all of your words, all of your videos. I mean, you're really just doing 
beautiful work. And I just want to say thank you on. Oh, thanks brother. I really appreciate it. And, um, thank you for, um, you know, uh, not allowing this to feel like an interview, but more of just, you know, us shooting the shit. Uh, if people weren't listening. Yeah, man. I love it. I love that we can just do this with that and we don't even have a beer. It's perfect. No. And, um, I will go to Canada soon and we will, uh, cause I've never been there and we will, uh, what? you never yeah. been to Canada. No, I want to go there and rent motorcycles and explore. Oh, you got to do that up yeah. in Vancouver through the mountains. One of yeah. the most beautiful drives for sure. Okay. Well, thanks for being here, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Be well. Thanks. All right, bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.